Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, Episode 3. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. Hi, Polly. How are you? Very good, thanks. Uh, excited to be talking about Absolutely. Yeah, this is your, your album, right? This is the one that introduced you to Madness. It is the first Madness album I got, and I got it kind of by accident, so very near and dear to me. Good, good. I'm excited too. Uh, This has been a lot of fun so far. And and, um, you and I have kind of, we've sat down, we've hatched out a plan for episodes through the end of the year. And I think this is looking really cool. Before we start with the album, let's, uh, let's go to our messages from people with the communicator. Okay, so follow-ups from our last episode. Our first two episodes had a combined total of 185 listens. That's as of 2 p.m. today. That's not too bad. Not too bad. We are now available on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Podcasts, and we will very soon be available on Google Podcasts. So um, those of you that are spreading the word, thank you so much. Uh, Word of mouth is excellent. We're, we're getting emails, as I mentioned last episode, from both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, a lot of, lot of very positive response. So thank you for that. Yes, thank you for that. Uh, and, and thank you to Madness Information Service for mentioning our podcast in issue 1112. So we got a shout out from the official Madness Information Service. So thank you. And uh, so we did get some listener feedback. We had one listener in the Midwest who says big ups to Polly for using the phrases Jamaican diaspora and moving on to Tarzan's nuts in the same show. (laughs) Apparently that's not something that people expected. (laughs) We're we're highbrow here. There you go. Um, And I did get an email from my buddy, Rob, who is a, um, he's one of the administrators on Mad Chat on Facebook. And he pointed out that we had mispronounced Dave Robinson's name in the last episode, Dave Robinson from Stiff Records. And we had said Dave Robertson. And I totally take the blame for this. I went back and I listened to it and I'm like, oh geez, yeah, we did get it wrong. Um, But I went back and looked at my notes, which of course, Polly, I passed you my notes. So you were working off of my notes and I had it as Robertson in my notes. So that was totally my mistake. Yes, uh, Dave Robinson. Is, is the gentleman's name. I apologize. That was on me. And uh, um, we'll, we'll make sure we don't make that mistake again. So thank you for pointing that out. All right. And on to a little bit about the album. Yes. So the sophomore album, often the curse of a lot of bands. Um, and I would say that this one's probably maybe a little bit less well-received critically than One Step Beyond, but I think that's due to lack of imagination on the part of the critics a little bit. Um, I found it a super solid album. The album's all upbeat tempo, um, not necessarily upbeat thematically. A lot of the songs are a little bit, you know, can, can be a little bit dark um, in terms of content, but it's a real danceable, upbeat, high energy album. And um, what can I say? I just absolutely love it. Uh, Like One Step Beyond, it was um, produced by Langer and Winston and released in 1980 on September 26th. And look, we're very, very close then to the 40th anniversary of that album. 
And Laura, you want to take a little bit on this? I think this is notable for a number of reasons. I think we're really starting to hear that madness is coming into their own sound. I think on One Step Beyond, it was a little bit more of a hodgepodge. There's a little bit of everything here. And now we're starting to see a little bit more consistency. Uh, I think it's notable because there's no cover songs on this album, right? One Step Beyond, I think we counted five. So now they're really, they're writing their mm -hmm. own songs more consistently. They're coming into their own sound. I think Suggs even said in an interview that two-tone was great, but absolutely was more of a reflection of where we were at the time than One Step Beyond. Also, another thing that's notable about this album is now Chaz Smash is officially a member of the band. Uh, this happened sometime in mid-1980. Uh, we don't know exactly when. The details are kind of fuzzy. Everybody seems to remember it a little bit differently. But he is now officially the seventh member of Madness. So the title of the album, Polly, you know where it comes from? Uh, so it was suggested by a tour manager, uh, Tony Duffield. And I guess it's sort of like his own little catchphrase, um, always interjecting it into conversation, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Who else do we know that has that catchphrase, absolutely, Polly? Hmm. That's one of your catchphrases, I've noticed. You say that a lot. It, 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 yeah. Instead of saying, yeah, or like, I suppose it's just one of those filler words for me. Well, that's so, cool. That's all absolutely. right. It's, it's a very nice positive word, right? Um, and so, <laughs> sure. well, rumor has it that after Tony Duffield was no longer working with Madness, he went on to the band Yaz. And supposedly they have an album out that's called You and Me Both. And I guess that was another one of Tony Duffield's catchphrases, You and Me Both. So uh, that's the rumor anyway. I don't know if that's true. So the cover artwork, there were two pictures that were taken. This is out front of the Chalk Farm tube station. It was not taken in Camden Town. I guess they wanted to take the picture in Camden Town, but Chris Foreman said they couldn't get the right angle. I don't know what that's about. Uh, there were two versions of the photo, and the band really liked one version, and Dave Robinson liked the other. And of course, the one that they went with was the one that Dave Robinson liked. And that's the one with uh, uh, Mike Barson pointing the umbrella at his chin. It's a little bit more somber looking. I think that they eventually, when they, they did a re-release after, I don't know, something like 10,000 uh, pressings or something, then they, they went to the second cover, which was the, uh, I guess, more uh, whimsical one that the band preferred. So there's actually two different versions of the cover out there. Okay. Uh, so critical reception, like I said, was not as good. Um, you know, some places said, you know, is is a solid album. A lot of people, I think just the gut instinct for critics is just a, just to pan a second album if it doesn't exactly follow in the same vein as a first successful album. Uh, Rolling Stone wasn't that sympathetic towards it. They gave it a one out of five stars. Uh, they said that Madness were simply the Blues Brothers with English accents. Um, I find that a little bit ironic. I love the Blues Brothers movies for its comedy. I love it for bringing uh, a little bit of notoriety to uh, artists that had been forgotten, but I think it's a bit of a hack job. And so I don't, I don't appreciate that analogy. Um, I think uh, the Blues Brothers was just people ripping off um, established acts, and I think Madness, particularly on a second album where they're not doing covers, they are establishing themselves as artists. I could talk at length about how um, I feel that absolutely is not appreciated, or at least was not appreciated at the time for what it was. Um, only peaked at 146 on Billboard, and uh, the singles nothing charted in the United States. They did chart pretty well in the UK for a few of them. Uh, Baggy Trousers, Embarrassment, and Return of the Lost Palm of Seven all did um, a little bit on the charts in the UK. Um, Baggy Trousers got the number three, so that's probably their most notable one. So it, it hurts my heart a little bit to hear you ripping on the Blues Brothers because I loved the Blues Brothers <laughs> back in the 80s. Briefcase full of blues, I think I... I, I 
wore my copy out. And in eighth grade, uh, my best friend Shelly Weaver and I dressed as Jake and Elwood for Halloween. Um, but it, I mean, it is what it is, you know, and it, it, as you said, you know, those, they were covers. Uh, I disagree that they were poorly put together because the artists that they had backing them up were amazing. I mean, they had Steve Cropper who worked with Elvis Presley. You know, they had a really, really sure. good team. Yeah, the Stax record guys were great. Yeah, but in the end though, it was Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi who were prim primarily known for comedy. Um, I don't know, I might cut that out. I might leave that in, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> all right, what you want. <laughs> all right. Do you want to introduce the first song? Sure. So first up, of course, first track and probably the most uh, famous track on the album, Baggy Trousers. And let's take a listen to it now. best-known songs right and that that intro that bell it's so iconic that's actually Woody playing drumsticks on a fire extinguisher that's how they got that that sound in the beginning Chris Foreman had said that it has a smidge of Hootsman by the Lord Rockingham's 11 you probably know more about them than I do so I'm not super familiar with that song um, I do remember uh, the name Lord Rockingham's but I guess I can barely recollect a bit of that. I could kind of see where they're getting that. Okay. Well, so I know that Suggs has said that uh, this was partly inspired by the Pink Floyd song, Another Brick in the Wall. Uh, the idea was, you know, another brick in the wall. Hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. And then Suggs was like, okay, well, this is the opposite. This is, hey, students, leave those teachers alone. And that, that kind of is the theme that permeates this song. Yeah, I think thematically it's, uh, you know, falls right in line with what uh, we've talked about before on the previous couple of podcasts with the playfulness of the band, the tongue-in-cheek attitude they take to a lot of uh, things. You know, it's a fun song, a funny song. I feel it really, really portrays, um, you know, what kids feel about school, how kids act at school. Uh, I think it's super relatable. And um, if you can get that in a song, all the better. So, yeah, I, I, I love the song too. There were some things in this song that were confusing to me, being an American. Uh, number one, uh, all the teachers in the pub passing around the ready rub. I had to look that up. I didn't know what that was. I'm thinking it's some kind of ointment or something. It's pipe tobacco. So the teachers are sitting in the pub passing around pipe oh. tobacco. Yeah. And, and then the other thing, and this is just like, I guess, maybe a weird hang-up of mine. That word trousers drives me nuts. Nobody talks that way. Nobody calls them trousers. Maybe my grandfather called them trousers. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's like my grandfather also used to refer to the sofa as the Davenport. I mean, that's just no, no, nobody under the age of 60 talks that way. Um, so that word, I, I have a weird hang up with that word. And the other thing that this reminds me of, and I was thinking about this the other day, because I know you're a Dr. Demento fan. Do you remember the song, Donald Wears Your Trousers? Again, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're uh, pushing me to remember, but yeah, I do believe I remember that song. So uh, other than the language, the language I get stuck on, or a push bike. I don't know what a push bike is. Is that like a a scooter, you know, there, there, there's some language in here that I get stuck on. But otherwise, yeah, I, it, it's a fun song. It's a great song. Uh, the band just launched, they were doing a, a fan lip sync challenge for the 40th anniversary of this song. They haven't put it out yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I know that this was also Mike Barson's first time playing a harmonica. Uh, he's playing the Honor Super 64 Chromonica, for those of you that uh, keep track of such things. 
Oh, one more for baggy trousers. Sure. Um, if you if you watch concert footage or if you go to a show, uh, by all means, that is going to be one of the better received songs. And another case of where it's just a sea of people bouncing up and down. Really, a lot of crowd involvement. Definitely a huge favorite live. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. That sounds amazing. Okay, so this next track on Absolutely, track two, Embarrassment. So I, I love embarrassment. This is, uh, but uh, the song was inspired by Lee's sister, Tracy, uh, Lee Thompson, the saxophonist. Um, so Tracy uh, had a mixed race baby. And in the late seventies, early eighties, this was still taboo. And his family pretty much disowned her. They, they, they that's what the, the lyrics are about, right? You know, what will the neighbors think? Right. I mean, that, that's a line of the song. And so uh, it was it was really obviously, you know, very, very tense. From what I understand, once the baby was born and and the family met the baby, they fell in love with the baby instantly and it was never again an issue. But the the lyrics itself, I mean, it, it even not knowing that as the background, this idea of, you know, the parents just kind of, you know, you're an embarrassment, you know, scolding because of something that you've done that, that they just can't cope with. And I think that that's a very, very universal theme. Absolutely. And it's, it's a credit to their songwriting skills that they do take an up-tempo song. They load it with, you know, a lot of dicey emotional content and still pull it off really, really well. Anybody else, you'd have to have a real low-tempo somber sounding song to get the point across. I think it's fantastic what they did with that song. And uh, just got to put it out there. It's uh, not as though we've progressed a great deal uh, as a society since then. Still the sort of things that cause an awful lot of um, rift in a lot of families and kind of kind of sad to see that that can still be the case. Yeah, very sad. All you have to do is turn on the news, right? I, I agree with you. And, and a lot of the songs on this album really have this juxtaposition with this kind of uh, bouncy up-tempo music, but then the subject matter itself is very bleak. And I think this is, this is one of those, but it works. I don't know that many bands can pull that off the way that Madness does. Also, you might have noticed uh, Chaz is now playing the trumpet. He had learned the trumpet, I guess. I guess I don't know if that was a condition for him to be a member of the band or whatever, but he's playing the trumpet in this song. And uh, according to Chris Foreman, Paul Willer actually cited the song as inspiring a town called Malice, which I thought was interesting. That, that was news to me. I, this is the first time I've heard of that. Um, but God, what a fantastic pair of songs. Um, shame. I, I think... Um, that was Town Called Malice was on the gift. I do think that was the last jam album, but God, what a fantastic song. I think it's got its pedigree, you know, in a in a madness song. Couldn't make me happier. So uh, the next song we've got is Ernie, E-R-N-I-E, the acronym. Um, and it is written by Suggs and Christy Boy. So let's take a listen. Yeah. 
So, okay, so Ernie stands for Electronic Random Number Indicator Equipment. It was a lottery system that was introduced in Britain in 1957. So this is an effect, this is as if somebody in America wrote a song about Powerball. Yeah, kudos to them. Not a subject you'd think um, anybody would come up with. And of course, uh, many people know that there's really not anything um, like a random number generator. At least uh, that's the last I heard. It doesn't exist out there in the world because it's electronically not possible to do that. Um, so there you go. Maybe they were getting robbed. And you know that I am a college professor that teaches computer information systems. So we talk a lot about random number sure. generators and you are absolutely correct. There is no such thing as a truly random number generator. And I think that's part of the reason why in the United States, all of our lotteries have the little ping pong balls, you know, that, that in the air and that, that it's randomized that way because there is no way that you can hack that. All right, so next song on the album, fourth song, Close Escape, written by Tomo and Chrissy Boy. So why don't we give that a listen too? Anybody who listened to the last podcast, anybody who knows One Step Beyond might be seeing a little bit of a theme here. Awful lot of talking about underwear in this song as well. And uh, Chrissy Boy then uh, says it's pretty much like a follow-up, a part two to uh, In the Middle of the Night. Uh, this time I think might name the character George. I don't think George was named in, in the middle of the night. I can't remember. Um, nice man, George. So he's gone from stealing knickers off. It sounds like he's doing prank calls on the phone. Um, and there you might hear a little bit of instrumentation in there, including a sitar. And um, so there you go. Another interesting song about uh, pervy characters that uh, imagined by the guys in the band. And, and we know you love your songs about your pervy characters, Polly. So, um, what, what, uh, what can I say? <laughs> um, I, uh, one of my favorite things about this particular song is the sax solo. And um, this is, I think, one of, one of Lee's really top, top sax solos. It's uh, kind of reminds me of like Yakety Sax, you know, the old Benny Hill theme song. But on a, on a, on a, on a higher level, I think, you know, it, I, I, that, that's my favorite part of the song. Yeah, it's definitely, the song moves right along. Uh, nice amount of, you know, melody in there, but super, super bouncy. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. Great uh, example of their style at that time. So speaking of songs about criminal activity, first we have, you know, uh, George now making prank calls and now we have, not home today. So 
So this is an interesting song. Um, I didn't know much about the background about this either. Apparently it was inspired by a real life crime. Uh, there was a kid named Perry Buckland who was convicted of the murder of Ian Alexander in North London in 1979. Perry was 17 years old. And uh, it was very, very controversial in Britain. Uh, I don't remember hearing anything about it over here in the States. But it, it really divided people. There was this, this camp of, uh, yeah, uh, Buckland is innocent. And, you know, the, the no, he's guilty camp. There was a lot of, a lot of tension. Um, kind of reminds me from what I was reading about what we were seeing over here with OJ, where, um, granted, uh, Perry Buckland was not a celebrity of the caliber of OJ, but it's just the way it just really div divided people, whether you thought OJ was guilty of murder or innocent. Um, and, and the thing about this song that I like is that it remains neutral. I mean, they don't take a position one way or the other. Was he guilty? Was he innocent? It kind of feels like it's, it, it, it's very sad, really, the, the perspective that it's, it's coming. It, I don't know if it's from the perspective of the boy's mother, you know, that, that he, he's not coming home today. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, wouldn't say I know a great deal about the song or the, uh, um, the meaning behind it. It's not something that's really laid out specifically enough in the lyrics that you you can really follow the story along. It's more, I guess, establishing the feel of what it's like to know or uh, see people incarcerated. But, you know, the, the lyrics are, are kind of loose. It's not a super solid story. And, you know, when I became familiar with the album, it's the days preceding the internet, you just didn't have access to lyrics or um, people's takes on it or theories about the song. So not one of those songs that really, you know, stuck with me a great deal. But nonetheless, it's another pretty solid uh, piece of work. If you hear, I think it's a little bit easier to hear towards the end of the song as they start to fade out a little bit, but it's got essentially, and here's where people will write in, I'm sure, essentially the same um, riff as My Girl 2, which is also very, very close to the uh, melody of the Sesame Street theme song. So if you take a close listen at the end, um, I think you'll definitely hear a bit of what I'm talking about. I can't, can't claim it's in the same key, but uh, it's there, trust me. And moving on to the sixth song on the beat, Pete. Um, pretty well, um, I guess everybody gets credit on this song, although I guess Tomo gets lead writing credits on it. And let's take a listen. Another catchy tune. We have a lot of very catchy yes. tunes. Yeah, and when I said that Close Escape uh, really moved along, it has nothing compared to this song. This is really a fast, fast delivery on the lyrics. Yeah, so fast. In fact, uh, uh, Chris recently said in a tweet that um, Suggs had murders trying to fit in all the lyrics. And uh, he said that that was a common problem with Lee's lyrics because <laughs> Chris said, that man thinks Suggs is like Eminem. You know, with the kind of rapid fire, you know, lyrics. Um, interesting comparison. Uh, I, I, I've never heard Suggs compared to Eminem before, but you know, Chris Foreman, he would know. Um, there's also a, a lot of false endings at the end of this. It's like, there's how many, like three or four times where it's like, you think it's coming to an end and it's back. And I guess that was inspired by the ending of a Roxy Music song called Remake, Remodel. Yeah, I, I was unaware that um, they had kind of gotten that concept from Roxy Music, uh, where they hint on um, in a few songs and one coming up here, um, 
you know, where they do their take on Boogie Woogie, that was definitely occurred a great deal in Boogie Woogie music was the false ending. So I kind of always assume maybe that's where they got it from, but I guess not. Speaking of Boogie Woogie, Solid Gone. <laughs> okay, boys, let's get a real Solid Gone. Shake it, Mr. Ellis, the two. I'm gonna make a boogie boogie going around in your shoes. Boogie boogie Yeah, so this one fronted by Chaz. Um, so pretty good take on Rockabilly. Very solid piano on it. And I suppose that's Barson paying a bit of homage to Jerry Lee Lewis. You know, Gene Vincent type of delivery lyrically and, you know, kind of a, a bit Rockabilly, bit surfy sort of solo. And uh, yeah, I love it. Solid, real solid song. Yeah. Boogie Woogie not being the sort of thing I'm too, too into as a fan, but uh, I think it fits with the, fits with the theme of the album and, and it's great. Good work. This is where I have to disagree with you, Polly. I do not like this song. I do not like it. Um, Chaz, I adore you, but you are no Carl Perkins, okay? <laughs> I think, you know, rockabilly has kind of been done to death and, and it's been done a lot better. It's, you, you know, so for me, this is really kind of a, a forgettable throwaway track. So. Well, you know, they, it's, uh, if you look at the evolution of the band, so they're what, probably about four, four years into it about now, you know, and considering the inauspicious start a lot of them had not being real proficient musicians, um, I think they're still dabbling a lot. You know, they're trying to learn their craft and they're, they're just kind of throwing things to the wall and sees, see what sticks. Yeah. And it's really not a genre that they pursued much after this. So they tried it. They probably didn't like it too much and they moved on. Well, I know when they were first starting out, one of the covers they used to do was Jailhouse Rock. And I can kind of see some similarities between this and, and, and like Jailhouse Rock type song. Oh. That, that must have been, Jailhouse Rock must have been Chrissy Boy's idea. You think so? Is he a big fan of the King? Uh, he's, he's the big Elvis fan. Is he? I did not oh, know Oh, huge, that. huge, yeah. All right, well, so it sounds like uh, as far as Salad Gone, you could take it, I could leave it. No, uh, and speaking of take it or leave it then, of course, uh, that'll be song number eight. Let's take a listen. adventurous it's really strange because of that seven four time that tempo you don't see a lot of that it's very unusual I, I, I was reading an interview with Woody where he was saying how because of the seven four time it's like you'd see the, the the skinheads in the crowd that would start trying to dance and by the second measure they're already off 
because it's not a, a, a regular beat, which I, I, I found interesting. Um, so that 7-4 time, uh, you, again, you don't see that very often. I know Pink Floyd's Money was another one that was 7-4 time. And uh, Jocko Homo by Devo. Those are our two better known songs that use this time signature. But it's really ambitious, you know, that, that, that these guys would try something that is just so musically, what's the word I'm looking for? Avant-garde. Avant-garde, that's the word, yes, yes. So what do you think of this one? Uh, this is, um, you know, I, I do like it. Not exactly my favorite song on the album. You know, it just, it, it attempts to have, you know, a lot of energy. Um, I think the seven, four time is about the most interesting thing about it. Um, I didn't, another case of, I didn't really um, connect or read a lot into the lyrics, you know, uh, when I started to become familiar with the song. I um, didn't know a great deal about it. And, you know, solid enough, but not, not, not my uh, favorite one on the album. And thank you for mentioning Devo. Uh, let's see how many times we can do that. Oh, are you a fan of Devo? You're a fan of Devo. I'm a huge, huge fan of Devo. Oh. And, uh, and one similarity, they've, yeah, one similarity they've got with Madness is they're known for you know, they're known for one song. And I, I think Devo's work is just much, much richer and much, much more complex than just Whip It. Yeah. But that's for somebody else's podcast. I can't talk at length about Devo. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned the lyrics. And this is one where I was just really having trouble making out what they were saying. So I guess the, the, the lyric is, how does she smile good morning to me? And I heard it as, how does she smell good morning to neat, to neat which I thought was like a weird way to pronounce night. So it's not, how does she smile good morning? And I heard, how does she smell good? <laughs> so yeah, this was, uh, it's again, musically very interesting. Also, it contributed the name for the, their uh, film, Madness, Take It or Leave It. It's very atmospheric, though, isn't it? It's not really, it's not really one of their more danceable tunes. So there was, there was a, I, I was reading up on this. I've been studying, actually, for our next episode, Polly, our forthcoming episode on Lee Thompson. And oh, boy. Yeah, which I'm looking forward to, and I know you're going to tease me about. Um, but I was reading that his inspiration for writing this was um, a riot that had occurred uh, in Italy. I guess uh, they were playing in Italy, and they, the, they were out of tickets. And so the fans couldn't get into the show. So they started rioting, and then they, they forced their way into the venue. And Lee was describing this almost like something out of a cartoon where the police were called and they're fire, firing smoke bombs and you know arms and legs flying everywhere like in the cloud of smoke and then when the smoke clears it was the police beating each other up and the the rioters the fans they had run off they disappeared like something straight out of a scooby-doo cartoon now how that relates to the actual topic of the song i don't know i even having read that and then listened to it again unless they're saying how does this happen you know how 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 do these things happen i i, I don't get the connection but that's what lee had written about this song so yeah take it or leave it, it he, he never makes anything up so it's got to be true <laughs> All right, so next we have Shadow of Fear. Let's give it a listen. A boat who came to town in the evening Strolling silently, hardly breathing Footsteps behind me slightly quicker The corner of my eye, a shadowy flicker I wonder if he's after my soul again tonight I don't see my way. Don't want to get involved in the spiritual affair tonight. 
worse and worse. I feel him brewing up an evil curse. I sense a chill creep up my spine. I want to scream, but only whine because I know. Wow, this is another really dark one, isn't it, Polly? Yeah, and um, you know, you can hear all the lyrics. It seems fairly literal. I've always took it to me, and it's just uh, you know him uh, walking at night, Suggs, Suggs walking at night. It's a Suggs and Mike Barson song, and feeling uncomfortable, you know, going in and out of the shadows, and feeling somebody might be following him or watching him. I don't know if there's any subtext beyond that, but I I just listen to it quite literally. Um, and I'm assuming that was their goal. Unless I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know that you're wrong. No? I think you're probably right. Um, I, I, I really, I, I'm into like dark and spooky stuff. So, you know, when, when Suggs sings about uh, don't want to get involved in my spiritual affair, tonight my fears are growing worse and worse, I feel him brewing up an evil curse. So that to me is like, that's maybe beyond the idea of somebody following you. And this is now kind of in supernatural territory. Uh, so, I mean, this to me, this would be like a great song to play on Halloween. You know what I mean? With all of the, the, the dark and spooky references. So it's an interesting song though. Yeah. You know, again, they're just, they're branching out and they're trying things and I like it. Bit, but then again, I live in Stephen King territory. So Oh, that's right. You're in the middle of Maine, right? It's just like Stephen King describes it. We're all vampires and rabid dogs here. Do you want to introduce the next song? All right. So we've got Disappear, another song uh, with Suggs have from writing credits, along with Betters, who at this point doesn't have a ton of ton of credits, and I don't recall whether they were a songwriting pair up until now. Maybe I'm wrong. I might want to check my notes on that. Um, so let's take a listen to Disappear. I notice a lot of songs that Betters has a writing credit on have that kind of bounciness to it. Um, and again, there's that juxtaposition of the subject matter to the tone of the music. Because I think this was, a, wasn't it written about Alexander Palace burning down the, the venue in, in Britain? I think that that was actually what inspired this. Yeah, I, I believe it was. Um, you know, I have only... Uh you know, looked into this song lately, but you must have found the same information as me. Yeah, that's what uh, I believe Barson had said that uh, it was about the Alexander Palace. I, the, the, the one lyric to this song that just sticks with me is gurus on roller skates. Um, I went through a period in my childhood where I lived on roller skates. I did everything on roller skates. So anytime we have a mention of, of, of not just roller skates, but gurus on roller skates, I'm all ears. But um, I, yeah, I like this song. This is, this is to me, this is, it makes me happy. It's a, it makes me happy listening to this song. No, absolutely. I think it's one of the stronger songs on the album and kind of, you know, uh, gives an indication of where they're going to go with a lot of their music in the future. Um, and where they do go for a little bit more danceable, a lot more pop. Um, yeah, I love it, it's fantastic. Did you catch that there's a sitar in this song too? You mentioned that there was one in Close Escape. 
So we're getting experimental with the, the instruments here too. And it, it really blends nicely with the song, I think. Yeah, I think the instrumentation on the whole song is actually quite good. Yeah. So speaking of getting experimental, let's listen to Overdone. All right, so Overdone. This one was written by uh, Lee Thompson and Chris Foreman. And uh, they were attempting to write a song in the style of chic you know le freak say chic right you remember them 70s oh, disco i'm quite um, familiar yeah um and and chris said that he was trying to get a nile rogers fast tight clip style and he says he cheated <laughs> by slowing down the tape and that's how he was able to do that um whether or not they achieved that that chic sound i think is uh subject to debate I know as far as the lyrics, Lee has said that it's an apology to his mother. That uh, he says he never brought the song up with her, but it's like a hidden message to her. The idea that, yeah, I guess his father had, had been very much a criminal and that Lee was initially starting to follow in his father's footsteps and that that must have been very disappointing to his mother. And so this was his way of getting out that apology and, and, and uh, he describes it as a letter of regret, which I, I, I did not know, and I found that very touching. Yeah, I hadn't really heard uh, Lee's explanation before, but I guess it makes sense if you listen to the song. Um, I had heard Chris mention before about uh, the reference to Nile Rogers, and um, I think it really, really makes sense. And they're already starting to progress from the, the Sky Revival band into a pop band. And as a guitarist, if you were familiar with playing Sky and you were looking to do new things, a real natural progression would be to try to go towards um, an R&B pop sort of style. And Nile Rogers, a fantastic guitarist, um, great producer, and um, it's no wonder that he would look for inspiration for his, you know, what would transform into his next style of guitar playing. So hats off to him. It's a fantastic idea. And I think it's a lovely song. Absolutely one of my favorites on the album. Here's I probably said that four times already. Well, here's something I bet maybe you know, or maybe you don't know about Chris. So he's left-handed, but he plays his guitar with his right hand much like Paul McCartney. No, actually never heard that. Yeah. But, so, he, but he plays, he plays it the same, he plays it the same as a right-handed person would. Yes. That must be hard. Right. I can't huh. imagine. I can't even well, imagine. Right. Yeah. So overdone, uh, I, I guess is also significant because it's the longest song on the album at a whole three minutes and 45 seconds. So the band is always keeping it really short and tight, at least for their first few albums. Now, eventually that's going to change, but uh, much like One Step Beyond where we had 15 very short and tight songs. Now, absolutely, we've got 14 and we're on number 12. Shall we listen to In the Rain? Oh, 
So uh, we've got a song here, again, another one where everybody in the band gets songwriting credits, but um, Suggs gets the lead songwriting credit. Um, it's an older song. It wasn't done specifically for this album. Um, it was done on the sessions that they did for One Step Beyond. And they were trying to kind of a, uh, mimic a little bit of the um, intro of Police and Thieves by The Clash. Of course, it's a much older song than The Clash. It's super, super solid. And another great example of how uh, they can kind of speak to the anguish of um, young men in relationships. And I think an awful lot of In the Rain is about a guy really not knowing um, how he's supposed to fit into the relationship, what he... Uh, the girl in the relationship really wants out of them. And uh, just, yeah, a lot of angst, long, a lot of anxiety in the song and uh, great, great songwriting. Great, um, you know, great example again, much like the previous song uh, about relationship and um, this time getting dumped. Maybe it's the part two to the previous song. Um, so you said is mostly the retelling of the conversation, I think, leading to the breakup. It's the, um, you said you're leaving, that's okay. Um, I think there's a lot of false bravado in that. I think the guy's definitely still hurting. Uh, but he's trying to appear that it's uh, he can shrug it off. Yeah, solid song. But I'm not sounding that enthusiastic. Maybe, maybe I've got some reservations about it. Ah. Okay. All right. So then the last track on the album, which our listeners will know because we're using it as our theme song, The Return of the Lost Palm is Seven. Let's give it a listen. Another catchy tune. It's one of those that, you know, it's an earworm. It gets in your head and it doesn't, doesn't let out, you know? Um, so I understand that this is uh, Dave Robinson, again, from Stiff Records. He wanted them to do another instrumental song. You know, he, he felt that that was one of the band's strengths, like One Step Beyond, you know, being mostly instrumental. So he really pushed for another instrumental and that's kind of where this came from. It's a fun song, it's a fun video. Um, have you seen the cover of the single of this one, Polly, with the logo? Yeah, and it's the single that has the uh, has the Nighty Boys comic book in yes. it, I believe. I, I thought it was my imagination. I saw the, the logo with their, their faces, and I thought, God, that looks like the, the Pep Boys logo, right? The, the American Auto Repair Company. But I'm thinking, there's no way. How, how would they be inspired by that? But I guess they actually did when they were in California touring, they had seen the Pep Boys logo and that inspired the, the cover of the single with the, 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 the faces like the Pep Boys logo. So a little, little American connection there. We've, we've got one. Yay! Um, yeah, it, it's been, <laughs> hooray for us, USA. Um, yeah, and it's another great example um, where they're, modeling their style after different regional or different um, 
national music and uh yeah it's super fun it's a lot like a spaghetti western and um yeah there's not any listening to it and not feeling uh the need to move it's a really fun song really great really great intro for a podcast um and yeah it's no no wonder it was one of the more popular songs on the album well that brings us to the end of the album so uh you know i'm going to ask you because i asked you last time too polly favorite song and least favorite song uh well so i'm gonna go ahead and say that uh baggy trousers is my most favorite i i promised listeners uh as time goes on we talk about more albums i don't just automatically say the most popular song on the album but i just that's such an endearing song and i think didn't i kind of say disappear was my least favorite really maybe take maybe take it or leave it yeah i don't know i'm not in the practice of saying what my least favorite of anything is okay so I can, always, I can always change my mind on that. Okay. Well, Disappear is a close contender for me for my favorite track. Uh, I'm between Disappear and Close Escape. Not counting uh, the singles like Embarrassment. Embarrassment is a really, really good song. And, and it's Lee's lyricism. Lyricism? Lee's lyrics, I think, I think are really... right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they're really on point and, and and other songs on this album too. Lee is really bringing some very personal stuff into these lyrics, but they're also very universal themes that really resonate with me. Um, so Embarrassment's very strong. Disappear, I love, uh, but I think my favorite track on the album is probably Close Escape. I think it's just got that fun kind of a bouncy beat to it, the, the yakety sax. I could see this being a theme song for like a TV show or something like a sitcom. Uh, I don't know. Uh, least favorite, I think I've already said, is Solid Gone. It doesn't do anything for me. Uh, a little preview for our listeners, what's coming up in two weeks. We've decided that we're going to do a special episode dedicated to Lee J. Thompson. We're going to talk about uh, his songwriting. We're going to talk about his contributions, not only to Madness, but to some of his other projects, uh, Crunch, the Lee Thompson Scott Orchestra. There's a few other ones out there that we're going to touch on. Uh, and Polly, you and I are also going to count down our top five uh, songs, which Lee has contributed to songwriting wise. I don't know. I didn't mention that before, did I? This is the first I'm, I'm hearing not- of it. <laughs> but um, so that's our plan. But uh, it, so it's become a tradition that we kind of, we pick a song to, to, end our podcast right to to play it out as it were and polly you uh you had an idea for what you wanted us to end the podcast with today do you want to talk about that as many people know um last week toots hibbert from toots and the my died some people say maytals i've always said my just a huge huge legend in the reggae world uh very very sad to uh, hear of his passing. And when Lori was asking what we might do for a song, I requested that maybe we do something to honor him and being a Mad- Madness fan and a podcast about madness. Uh, Lori scoured uh, the interwebs for um, any uh, version that we could come up with of 5446. Um, and you came up with a super, super fun one. So I would love it if we could play that on the exit. Awesome. So this was the band preparing for, I think this was a rehearsal. I don't think this was the actual recording from the show, but this was from Madstock in 98. They did this as one of their encores. Now, when they played it on stage, they actually did play it with, with toots. Toots or toots? Toots, right? Again, I've always said toots. Okay. Well, see, again, you would know more than I. Um, but uh, this was, this, I believe this was from their rehearsal uh, before the show. So uh, it's catchy. And it's great to have it uh, 
immortalized because they they make a bit of a mess of it and that's that's fun in of its own right so thank you so much yeah thank you uh we'll see everybody here in two weeks uh have a have a great rest of your day thanks see everybody later Yeah.